Welcome, welcome, welcome. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. I am so glad we've finished that part. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Fumi. Good evening. How are we doing? Praise God. God is great and greatly to be praised. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you tonight in Jesus' name. We give you praise and glory and honor. Thank you um, because dominion belongs to you. Thank you because dominion belongs to you. Thank you because the earth is yours, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in it. And Father, we thank you for um, the riches of your grace, that which you have measured to us in Christ Jesus, your indescribable gift. Father, tonight as we converge, consider your word and pray and intercede, we pray that you will grant us an increasing, surpassing, abounding measure, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Father, let your word tonight compel us to um, occupy uh, in our thinking. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. We're so grateful to God for um, what he's been doing with us and, 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 and in us. Um, tonight, I, I really want to share a few thoughts, but I, I really feel like um, along the, the line we're going to um, travel tonight, um, I want to acknowledge Pastor Morin. Amen. She's here with us. Amen. Shall we appreciate her? Amen. Thank you very much for, for being with us. We're so grateful um, for your heart and what God is doing with you in Leicester. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I have a, a bit of a troubling message. Not, not, not that the word of God is troubling, but the thoughts. And um, I, I, I think just in my meditation tonight, um, God has really put the nation in my heart. Um, and I think I was discussing with Rosebud when we were coming just now. I was saying to her that we need to shift our mind. I know I say this a lot, but honestly, as God's people, we need to shift our mindset, our way of thinking, and we need to begin to embrace who we are. Someone say we must embrace ourselves. Okay. So, um, I want us to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1. I'm going to start from there. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1. So I want to lay uh, some grounds for um, some of the prayers we'll pray tonight. But Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1. Isaiah 5 verse 1. I'll wait for us to, if it's up, okay, it's, it's up. That's great. It says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a fertile hill. He says, let me sing a song for my, a love song for my beloved concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a fertile hill on uh, my, my beloved has a vineyard on a fertile hill. Um, I, I want us to consider and understand some significant things about this scripture. As we, are we here tonight? Okay. 
Um, one of the things that I, I, I always encourage people to do is to have a very clear, deep, profound understanding of God's word, to go deep, to get themselves, because I really, really believe that um, the transforming power of God's word gives us stability more than anything. Um, this scripture has a lot of interesting facts about it, basically, because you think, okay, this is just about a song, but there are some key revelations that I want us to consider as we look at it. Now, this scripture says, let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard established on a fertile hill. What is interesting here is some of the connotations in, in the Hebrew um, regarding some of the words that I used. For example, um, the word, the word, um, the word hill is a word that connotes hun in the Hebrew. I want you to note that the word hill is a word that connotes horn in the Hebrew. So I want you to note that. The second thing that I want you to note is the word fertile or fruitful. Is the word fertile or fruitful. In the Hebrew, that word is a word called ben. Someone say ben. And that word ben, is, it, its actual meaning is son. That's what it means. So that's why you hear Benjamin. Okay, son of the right hand. So what is interesting is that you'd see um, this scripture, and when you begin to break it down in its original context, or the original language in which it's written, it has a completely different application when you embrace it. So now this is what is significant, and I want you to note this. It says, let me sing uh, um, for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a fruitful, he has a vineyard on a fertile or a fruitful hill. Now, what is the mystery of this scripture? The vineyard here speaks about the revelation of the kingdom. That is what the vineyard speaks about. The vineyard speaks of the revelation of the kingdom. And the word fertile or fruitful as used in that scripture is the word ben. It speaks of the revelation of sonship. Okay. And the word heal that is used in that scripture is derived from the, the same word they, they get the word hun from. And you know in the Bible, I know some of us have things about horns. Yes, basically you say you're scared but you still watch horror movies and that. Okay. But, you know, in the Bible, whenever, whenever Hon is alluded to in the scriptures, Hon was always a symbol of strength. Someone say strength. So, essentially, the revelation of, the, of this scripture is this. This scripture is saying this is a song about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is established on the strength of sons. That's the revelation there. Let me sing a song about my beloved. My beloved, the beloved is the father. My beloved has a fruitful, uh, a vineyard 
He has a kingdom established on a fertile, on Ben. Ben meaning sun, on a fruitful hill. Hill in the, in the Hebrew again, meaning horn, meaning strength. In other words, the advancement of the kingdom of God, here's my point, depends heavily on how much um, we are able to mature into sonship. I've been teaching on this. Um, we, we have some messages um, all over the place. YouTube, Facebook, in different places. One second. Please, wait, help me sort this out. I think something is... Yeah. You know, it's holy to say, babe. Amen, you know that, right? Okay, uh, some of you guys just... You're just too deep. Okay, okay, God help me. Okay, so... Now, what I've been teaching on this for some time... In the, in, in the kingdom, you have to understand the different streams of revelation, the different ways. The, the reason that I teach this way, the reason why I talk this way, the reason why I am intentional about language is because I really feel that God is trying to shift our conception of the faith that we have received. In the kingdom, there are, there are two main revelations in the new covenant that allow us to understand our relationship with God. The first one is that there are times that God speaks to us as his bride. There is a bridal paradigm. <laughs> but then the second one is that there are times that God addresses us as his sons. Those two streams of revelation allow us to interact with God differently. Let me, let me just, <laughs> holy goals. Let me track back. Are we together? Okay, let me track back and I'll, I'll come back to what I'm saying. You know, I told you about the book of Genesis. I told you that the thing about Genesis is concepts, blueprints. There's a lot that in that short Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, there's a lot that's packed in there that's fundamental to the theology of the believer. In the book of Genesis, God decided that he wanted to, I don't want to go through this, I don't want to lay foundations I've laid before. God decided that he wanted to express his kingdom, express his heart and his mind. So, one of the things that he did was, he raised a man called Adam, and he, out of Adam, he brought a woman called Eve. Now, in a natural sense, we understand we say that the first institu institution that God created was the family. So we see it in that understanding. We, we, we get it. But I think that God had a hidden mystery in that. The mystery of Adam and Eve is this. In the book of Luke, the Bible calls Adam the son of God. <clears throat> so in, in, the book of, in the book of Luke, you, you find this genealogy. I think it's Luke 1 or something. Genealogy going on, talking about this, give, you know, have you seen those genealogies in scripture? And this begat dad, and this begat dad. So I, I, honestly, I really struck, I read, I've re read the Bible. That part of the Bible, I struggle to read. This begat dad, and Mehalel, and the, the. But in one place, it goes on, it just says this. It says, and Adam, are we ready? Okay. And Adam, the son of God. He calls Adam the son of God. So, what we see regarding Adam 
is the revelation of sonship. What then is Eve? Eve is the bride. <laughs> so God was teaching us through Adam and Eve that for him to reveal the fullness of his kingdom, there has to be a fusion of two revelations. The revelation of sons and the revelation of the bride. And those are two core, um, uh, should I say, con those are two cornerstones in the New Testament, Jesus is either speaking to us as sons of God or he's speaking to us as the bride of Christ. When Jesus speaks to us as the bride of Christ, the emphasis that he has with us, we're all the bride of Christ, amen? As we're all the son of God. The emphasis that he has with us is the emphasis of intimacy. But when God speaks to us, ah, as sons, the emphasis that he has with us is the emphasis of government and dominion. Are we in the house tonight? So, what has the church done? The church, in my opinion, has not been able to strike a balance or has not been able to bring together these two streams. That we are called to be intimate with God, yes, and out of our intimacy, we must manifest the influence of the kingdom. We've traded that for uh, doctrines of deliverance and, oh God help me tonight. Doctrines of deliverance and curses and generational this and that. Not simply understanding our inheritance in Christ. But I go back to my scripture. This prophetic revelation that Isaiah has. Isaiah is writing this, and he's saying that the kingdom of God is established on sons of strength. For unto us a child is, unto us a son is, and the government shall be upon his, his shoulders. We have, un oh, God help me, we have understood redemption. Can I even say we've understood that? We have talked about redemption. We have talked about sanctification. We have talked about justification. But there is another one that we don't talk about. It's called glorification. So, for the most part, believers, have, they've accepted to live below the standard that God has ordained for us. I'm, I'm going somewhere tonight. I want to show you. It's just, what I want to show you is just straight to the point. It's not even difficult well the theological aspect of it you may have to wrestle with but right so we have chosen and how that is reflecting in society even the way that we posture ourselves the way that we 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 uh we relate to the world but isaiah reveals that for us to be able to advance the kingdom we must be sons of strength. Someone say strength. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. Are we here tonight? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. The ability to multiply is dependent of the on the maturity of sons. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 is a scripture that we know. The Bible says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the fivefold is not my direction tonight, <laughs> okay, the pastors, the teachers, 
to equip the saints for the work of work, for the work of ministry, for the building up or the edification of the body of Christ. Edification. That's where, I, that's where we got it from, by the way. Until we all, now, you know, normally when we quote this scripture, Pastor Delassi, we, we say, you know, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, and we stop there. But the purpose of the giftings and the leadership that God has in the church, the ultimate purpose, that it has an ultimate purpose. It's not just for the work of the ministry. It's not just for the equipping of the saints. It has, there's a purpose that's superior to that. What is that purpose? That's why I want you to understand this because you stop fighting devils that are not necessary. <laughs> What's the purpose of that? It says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's either this is a lie which is not, we know that. Or there's a misconception, or, or it's true, or there's a misconception. But what I see in my Bible, it seems like God's design for us is for us to attain the fullness of Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's God's design for us, for us to come to the measure of the stature. What a vision for your life. Of Christ's fullness. The fact that that is actually possible. The fact that that can actually happen. The question is, what does that even look like? What does it look like to come into the, the stature of Christ? The measure of Christ? Because all these messages of, oh, you're going to come out. Oh, this, they're killing the church. They're killing the church. You get delivered really and truly, to be honest. The main deliverance you need. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And as Colossians 1, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. It is when you don't stay in the supremacy of that kingdom. That you are subject to winds of doctrine or doctrine of winds. That's all I said. <laughs> so what does that look like? Controversially when I teach. Ah, let me just be controversial. I, I'm, I'm, I'll just go for it. Controversially, when I teach, I say that the destination of Christianity <laughs> is not heaven. Now, at this stage, everybody wants to run away. Wait. The destination of Christianity is Christ. If heaven is the destination of Christianity, I have a problem. I live for a place, not a person. I spend my entire life trying to get to a place. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8, to me, if I know it, it predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Our destination, the reason why God has left us on this earth is not because right now you can't go to heaven. It is because God wants to bring us into our full potential in Christ. Are we in the house tonight? He wants to bring us into our full potential in Christ. But the question is, what does that, what does that even look like? Arriving 
at full manhood, the Bible says. I want to show us, and I'm, I'm doing this on purpose, through the, the shadow of the Old Testament. Just how God in, in the Old Testament, he shows us shadows of what in the New Testament he wants to, are we here tonight? That he wants to do with us. Huh. Deuteronomy chapter 32 from verses 8 to 9. To nine. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of his son? What does this sonship look like? Can we glimpse at this sonship? Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8 to 9. This interesting scripture it says that when the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. I'll read that again. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Um, some versions, they read uh, sons of Israel. But when you study the original translation, it has actually nothing to do with Israel. It says sons of God. Interestingly, I love what um, the NLT says. It says that when the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. This is so interesting. And I just want to give you a glimpse of this thing that's spoken about in Ephesians, of us coming to the measure of the stature of Christ's fullness, this sonship, what does it look like? Do we have anything? I know he's spoken about five stages of sonship. That's wonderful. <laughs> now, this scripture, when was it that God assigned lands to the nations? When was it that God divided nations? Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Let's go there. Genesis 11. The Bible says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they, they had bricks for stone and bitter men for mortar. Then they, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people, the people are one, and they have one language, 
And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Are we still together? He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. In simple terms, when we go back to the scripture that we read, when the Lord, Deuteronomy 32, 18, when the Lord assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, the time that God did that, the only time clearly recorded in scripture that God divided up nations, got involved in it, was the Tower of Babel. Interestingly, they were trying to build to get up to heaven, Holy Ghost. God gave them the earth. I, I, whenever I, I say this, I keep saying, I don't have a problem with it. Our citizenship is of heaven. So, so now, this is the only time that God divides up the nations. Now, this is, that's easy to take. I can take that, but what I'm struggling with is that the Bible says that when God divided the nations, he divided them according to the number of the sons of God. Now, that's interesting. He divided the nations according to the number of sons of God. And the Bible says that God kept Israel for himself. What do you mean he divided according to? Because when you see sons of Israel, and, and that's why, you know, I keep, I keep advocating for study. Accuracy. Someone say accuracy. Because when you get your doctrine right, you understand the mind of God. Wow, you will live, you will live a life that's transcendent. So the Bible says in the Torah of Babel then, when God divided the nations, he divided the nations according to the number of sons, the sons of God. The NLT says according to the number of his heavenly court. But he kept Israel for himself. In other words, so this is saying then that what God did was to put nations under the governance of whosoever these sons of God are, and himself ruled over Israel. Now, the question is, who are these sons of God? Are we here tonight? In the book of Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us this. It talks about how evil started to increase on the earth. And it tells us a very significant thing. It says, the sons of God went into the daughters of men. You know, that's King James. You know, you understand what I mean? Went into, you know, knew. You know, King James would say, and this person knew that person. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, okay. Right. The sons of God went into the daughters of men. And the Bible says, in those days, giants were born. And God looked on the earth in those days. And the Bible says, it repented God. That's, I love King James when he does that. Right? It repented God that God made, made humans. And that was what led to the whole thing with God and Noah. But the Bible says something so interesting. In that Genesis 6, 
when he talks about how the earth was corrupt and filled with different things, it says this. He says, but Noah was righteous. What's interesting is that some other translation says this, that Noah was pure in his, in his lineage. Now, this is not just talking about Noah being, you know, yes, being righteous. Maybe Noah was just holy. No, this is talking about Noah's, um, Noah's, should I say, DNA had not, was not corrupt. His lineage was poor. Oh, there's a deep mystery in this. So, these sons of God, who are they? Because they show up in Genesis chapter 6. Some people said, oh, he's the son of Adam, Seth. I think the Bible is smart enough if he was Seth to tell us that he was Seth. The Bible says sons of God went into the daughters of men and giants were born on the earth. So the question is, who are these sons of God? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who are these sons of God? And then in Deuteronomy that we read, the Bible says, that when God divided up the nations, he divided them according to the number of the sons of God, according to his heavenly court. Who are these sons of God? Are we still here? Okay. Come with me to... Come with me to three. Psalm 82, rather. I'm just trying to show you a picture of what it is. You want a title? I'll give you my title at the end. <laughs> because if I give some of you from the beginning, you would have already turned off. Because my titles can be technical. So I will seal it with a title. <laughs> Psalm 82, verse 1. Are we there? Okay, I would go with, is this, is this going to move at pace? Is, is this sorted? So we're going to move at pace, right? Yeah, no, in terms of verses, okay, so it's not going to, okay, let's go. It says, a psalm of Asaph, God stands in the congregation of, of God. He judges amongst the gods. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. He judges amongst who? The gods. How long will you judge unjustly and respect? The persons of the wicked. Selah means pause and meditate. We don't have to read that out. <laughs> Judge the poor and the fatherless. Watch this. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not. Neither do they understand. They walk to and fro in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So much in this. The next verse. I said, now this is key, I said ye are gods, all of you are sons of the Most High, nevertheless you shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you will inherit all nations. Now this is striking, this is, this is you know, I'm, when I read the Bible, I'm honest, when I'm, my, my mind is boggled, I'm like, no, no, this is too much. The Bible says, God stands in the congregation of gods. God is having a meeting with gods. 
Some of, when I said gods, and some of you guys, idols just, you just, uh, uh, holy ghost. <laughs> God is having a meeting with gods. I love, I love uh, the ESV. The first verse says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. God is having a meeting in heaven. In this meeting, God is saying to these gods, whosoever they are, we're going to come to it. Whosoever they are, that why have you perverted justice? Why have you, um, why have you dealt unjustly? Why have you not been, been faithful? Why have, you, why have you oppressed people? God is literally holding these gods, holding them to account. Now, what is interesting to me, apart from the fact that this meeting, the Bible says God stands in the congregation of gods, apart from the fact that it's happening in the realm of the spirit and not on the earth, which is a bit spooky. What gets me apart from that is the part, please go back to it, that, that says, I have said, Please, please, please go to the, I think it's like the second to the last verse. What verse is that? Six. It says, they know not, neither do they understand. They walk to and fro in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaking. I said you are gods and all of you the sons of the most high. Nevertheless, you shall die like men. So if these are men, why are they going to die like men? If these living beings that God is talking to about the governance of the earth, if they are human, why would God say, nevertheless, you shall die like men? Here is my problem. My problem is that there is this council meeting in heaven. God is having a conversation. Interestingly, uh, the word that is used for God in this scripture and the word that is used for God's in this scripture, um, they, are, they are somewhat similar. It's that word Elohim. Elohim is not just a name that's peculiar to God. Elohim in general would actually mean a spirit being. There, there were names like Elion, Yahweh. Yahweh was God's name. But God is an God Elohim. God is a spirit. Now, what's interesting is that when you see the scripture, when it says God sits in the congregation or in the council with gods, the word there for gods is the word Beni Elohim. Oh, some of you guys are like, okay, what are we doing tonight? Just please be patient. Someone say patience. The word there is Beni Elohim. And Beni Elohim, remember the word Ben? Son. Ben Elohim means sons of God. So, the people that God is having a conversation with, whatever they are, they are the sons of God. And God is talking to these sons, saying that you haven't judged the earth righteously. You haven't dealt well with the earth. But interestingly, he says that these sons, he says, they have said that you are princes, but you shall die like men. In other words... They were not men. What is this that we're dealing with? <laughs> we're dealing with here the, 
I love what Michael Hustle calls it. He calls it the supernatural worldview of the Bible. Right? Because there are, there are things now that may be too difficult for our minds. But we're moving into a season where God is accelerating our understanding and revelation. Someone say amen. So, these gods that, that God Almighty is speaking to here, they are sons of the Most High. Right? Now you would think, are they angels? No. That's another problem for you because you thought, okay, you have kind of said, okay, maybe they're, they're angels at least. Angels, listen, angels, the word angel can be quite generic. Does that make sense? But um, an angel in essence could be a messenger. Here we're not just talking about messengers. We're talking about spirit beings that had authority. That had authority. So these are not just messengers. These are princes. What is, what is the meaning of this? What is God revealing through all of this? What is he trying to say? These gods, these Beni Elohim, these sons of God, they are spirits that were fallen. In Genesis 6, they go into the daughters of men to be intimate with the daughters of men for a reason. Are we still together? When God gives Adam or Eve a promise, when he says to Eve, he says that, he said, remember after the sin, God said that, your seed will do what? Will crush the head of the enemy. So, even though Eve had sinned, God gave Eve a promise. And the promise that God gave Eve was that deliverance will come from her seed. So, what Satan, as jobless as he is, spent a lot of his time doing from that time, was to try and find a witch of the seed. So he goes on a seed hunt. <laughs> and part of what he wanted to do was to corrupt the seed of humanity by getting fallen spirit, <laughs> these fallen beings to be intimate with the daughters of men so he could pervert the human race so that the promise of deliverance that God made to Eve wouldn't come to pass. We see this constantly, constantly in Scripture. Satan moved, he moved, he moved uh, Herod. Remember that? He moved Herod. He moved, uh, what else did he move? Remember Pharaoh? He moved Pharaoh. Satan was after the seed, the seed, the seed. Because he knew about it. So, these sons of God, when the Bible says they went into the daughters of men. And giants were born. These were not ordinary beings. But what is interesting is this, and this is what terrifies me about God. After the Torah of Babel, as we read, the Bible says God divided the nations. God kept Israel for himself and <laughs> the other nations were left under the administration. He, you know, you know in, the, in the book of Romans, the Bible talks about how God gave them up to reprobate minds. 
The other nations were given up to reprobate men. Because God was trying to show, God was trying to show us something. In the book of um, Acts, Paul begins to preach. And Paul was trying to turn people from idolatry. And he was saying that, he was saying that we are all offsprings of God. That even though you guys worship idols, we all come from God. Right? And God at some point gave them up to certain things so that they could actually long for him and feel for him. So God chose Israel to provoke jealousy in the nation so that they will go after him. So in, in Psalm 82 now, God calls these beings together that is given. It, it terrifies me about God. There are some things about God that are so complex. For example, in the book of Job, there's, a, there's, a, there's another council meeting in heaven. Satan shows up. I thought, <laughs> because if, that, if Satan showed up, definitely everything is coming out. Flags, banner, oil. If I, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so now in heaven, Satan shows up before the throne of God. I'm like, what? And God asked him, he said, where are you coming from? Of course, silly him, to and fro the earth, looking for no other job. Looking for wood to do. So he comes in. And God is having a conversation with him. And God is saying, have you seen my servant Job? So, hold on. How is God having conversations with No, I didn't say God and Satan are partners. No. But it shows you the supremacy of God is so much that even Satan, as lunatic as he is, has to report to him. You see what I'm saying to you? As, as lunatic as it, as terrible as Satan is, he has to actually go to God and say, yes, sir. <laughs> so, these, these beings, God, even though they're, they're, they're perverted, God calls a council meeting. This, this is seen by Revelation, the book of Psalms. Calls a council meeting and calls these beings together and say, you had an opportunity to actually, you know, to, 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 to administer justice. This is the supernatural worldview of the Bible. You, you had an opportunity to administer justice and you perverted it. I've said that you're God's, but you shall die like men. Now, what is God revealing to us here? God is revealing to us what it really means to be sons. That these, it's so. Now, now, this is, you have, to, you have to take this with the right mind. It's so amazing that even though these, these beings were corrupt, they were still referred to as sons. Not, not because God wants, does that make sense? God wants us to live anyhow. You get what I'm saying. But what's so interesting is that in their fallen state, God is still able to order them to work for him. Some of you guys right now, you're not sure. But the only, the only problem you have is that you've heard me preach like sound doctrine and all that stuff. So you're wondering whether I didn't sleep well or what did I consume and all that stuff. <laughs> so God, God shows us this, that these beings, God actually gave them governance. Now, what's so interesting? Let's move on quickly. Are we still here? Because I want to make sure that We get to objective. What's so interesting is that we begin to see in Scripture 
this idea of a divine counsel, in, in portions of scripture, God allows us to gaze into what's going on before his throne. You begin to see God differently because you begin to find out God is, yes, he's judge, he's king, but he's having conversations in his, in his heavenly courts about how the earth is being governed. Quickly in the book of Daniel. Are we still here? Okay, I want to make sure we're together. Daniel chapter 4 verse 17, quickly. These are about the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4, 17. You can read from it. It says that context here is Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. He had a dream and all that stuff. And after a while, he was trying to find out what this dream was, what this vision was. So he got Daniel, basically. And Daniel was interpreting the dream and the vision. Watch what... Um, the, the, the interpretation is. This is key, but this is, this is the part that's key, rather. It says that the sentence is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the Holy One to the intent that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whosoever he wills. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is going off. God is uh, bringing his counsel concerning him to pass. And the Bible says that the decree that Nebuchadnezzar would be punished was by the decree of the watchers. The watchers here are spirit be heavenly beings. But then if you go to Verse, uh, if you go to verse um, 23, verse 23, the Bible says, and whereas the king saw a watcher and the holy one coming down from heaven, No, sorry, verse 24. Yeah, okay, we can go from 23 to 24. That's not bad. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, hew down the tree and, the, and destroy it, nevertheless the slump of the root in the earth, even the band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let its portion be with the beast of the field till seven times past. This was when Nebuchadnezzar, remember when Nebuchadnezzar, um, you know, was arrogant and then God debased him. And it became an animal in egg grass. Remember that? Have you, have you read that? So this is the context here. Now, verse 24. It says, this is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High which is come upon you, my king. I'm, it's, this is interesting. In one place, Daniel says, it is by, or Nebuchadnezzar is by, is what, in the vision he saw, the Bible says it was by the decree of the watchers. The watchers are heavenly beings. In another place, it says it's by the decree of the Lord. What's going on here? 
Is it by the decree of the watchers? Or is it by the decree of the Lord? What's going on here is a picture of God's kingdom and how God's kingdom operates. In one place, uh, good Lord, I should have written this down. Babe, see if you can find that for me. There was a king who, I think it was, I think it was Ahab, someone. And Ahab, of course, being quite rebellious, wanted to go to war with another king, with another king that was, whoops, it was Ahab and then Joseph, I think so. So Ahab and Joseph wanted to go to war. Now, Joseph was a man of the spirit. So he wanted to inquire, because in those days you had to inquire through a prophet what the Lord would do. Ahab as well wanted to inquire. But because Ahab's ways were wicked, what happens is this. The Bible shows us this picture, basically, where Ahab is seeking counsel from a prophet. And the prophet is telling him, go, go, go to the world. God will give you victory. But then suddenly in the scriptures, we're taken to heaven and we see what's going on before the court of God. And in heaven, there's a meeting. There's a council meeting. It's Holy Ghost. Man, you guys will learn scripture. You will not be shallow in Jesus' name. In heaven, there's a council meeting. And God says, what shall we do with him? And the hosts of heaven are having a, God is having a meeting about Ahab, the host of heaven. And the Bible says, this is going to shake something. The Bible says, a lying spirit came before God. <laughs> I said, I will go to him. And a, a, a spirit came before God. I said, I will go to him. And I'll be as a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. Pastor, see if you can find the scripture for me, just so that people don't think that I'm beginning to make. Sir? Second Chronicles 18, so you can reference that. So, we are taken into this, this realm, this realm of God's decision making. This is where I'm going tonight. This realm of God's decision making. We see how God makes decisions in heaven. Whenever God makes decisions, the entire, the host of heaven is present before him. And God is taking counsel before the throne of God. There are 24 other thrones, 24 elders. There's a whole setup, right? Sons of God are present. How God rules, how God governs through his divine counsel. Hmm. So, in the book of Psalm 82 that we read, the Bible says God called a council meeting. He wanted to know. What happened with the earth? Okay, now, interestingly, what I, what I needed to also note is this. Are we still here? Huh. It's not just spirit beings that have access to the courts of heaven. The Bible tells us about a guy called Joshua. Zechariah chapter 3 from verses 1 to 7. I just want to land this at a place tonight that we can pray with effectiveness. Zechariah chapter 3, is that what I said? Okay. The Bible says that then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And this is a revelation Zechariah is having about the courts of heaven. 
It says, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Joshua himself was clothed with filthy garments. And the angel, of, angel said to him, those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him and remove the filthy garment from him. And to him he said, behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. Now, key, this is key. And the angel of the Lord was standing by him and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is key, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you will rule in my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you, this is key, the right of access amongst those that are standing here. Holy Ghost. <laughs> God told a man that, listen, if you follow me, you see this council that I operate. You see this court. He says, I will give you access amongst those that are standing here. So what we see is this. Here's my point. We see in the scripture something called a divine council. It is the heavenly courts. It's the courtroom of God. It's the throne room of God. And in this throne room of God, it is the citadel of activities on the earth where decisions are made, where nations are governed, <laughs> where cities are governed. In the Old Testament, God shows us a picture of these these fallen, let's not say angels, these fallen sons of God and how he trusted them, right, to govern the earth. But it wasn't about them. It was about us. Because what he was showing us is what it would really mean to be a son. That a son would govern the nations of the earth. There is no way you can talk about sonship without, talk, without talking about dominion. It's impossible. So God uses these similitudes in the Old Testament. These foreshadows in the Old Testament to help us understand how we operate, how we see things, how we govern. And what is so interesting, as we read in the book of Daniel, is that God can sit down in heaven with a whole cabinet in, in, uh, uh, in, in my research, you know, for this, because trust me, the, the research is deep, right? <laughs> in my research for this, one of the things I found that was the American system, they, they had to break down um, because basically, you know, in, in, in the monarchy, the king had all the power. Does that make sense? But they came up with this idea that People are too corrupt to hand them all dimensions of power. So that's why government became, um, that's why government got broken into uh, legislative, judiciary, and the executive. Separation of powers. It came because some people looked at it and thought, wow, 
People are too corrupt. But traditionally or historically, all forms of power will be, will be in a king's court. And how a king would govern is that he would have counsel around him. That he would liaise with and talk with and have conversations with. In one place, in fact, uh, uh, I, I was doing some research and they said that there was a system of government where the king will put literally his family members in all key positions. And every time he will take counsel with them. Now, what I've learned is this, is that, you see, the fallen systems of man, they, have, they just have a dot of the mind of God. Though they are fallen, for example, uh, colonization. Remember I told you about that? These things, they, the Bible talks about how uh, the firmament reveal is great. There are so many things that give us an idea, a depiction of how God operates. So even when you study the kingdoms of past, what you will find is that a king will be surrounded by counsel. And God as well is surrounded by the counsel of his sons. Now, what does this mean? What is it that God wants us to pull out from this? When God has these council meetings in heaven, he's deliberating. In the book of Daniel chapter 4, the Bible says, it is by the decree of the watchers. So what I can imagine there is, God and the spirit, the spirit beings are having conversations about what's going to happen with Nebuchadnezzar. And God says, what do we do? This is so powerful. I mean, we're talking about how nations are being governed here. God shows us a glimpse of this when he goes down to Abraham. Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be destroyed. God from heaven said, it will not be right for me to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and not let Abraham know. He said, he said, seeing that he will inherit the nations of the earth. So God went to Abraham to have conversations with him. But it was a glimpse. We couldn't catch the full revelation of it. What God was showing us was glimpses. Abraham couldn't fully negotiate that. But it was interesting that him and God were having, God, he said to God, God, if there are 100 righteous people, would you destroy it? God said, no. Then he said, God, don't be offended because of, that's Old Testament. He said, God, don't be offended. He said, if there are 50, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, no. Then he said, God, don't, even, don't, be, don't be upset with me. If there is one righteous person, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, no. Right, so what God was looking for in a man was a mediator. One to have conversations with. One to take counsel. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying God is helpless. I'm saying that this is how God has designed to rule. So we see in Psalm 82, God showing us how, he des how he's designed to rule the earth. Through a community of sons. Those gods, their name, uh, 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 their, their name in the Hebrew, Beni Elohims. Beni meaning sons of the Most High. But they were fallen. But we are not falling sons of God. We are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if in their status, God could still use them. <laughs> How much more those of us that have the righteousness of God. That's why I asked you in the book of Ephesians 4. When he says, do we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man? What does that look like? It looks like this and more. That God is inviting us to participate in affairs of the earth, in matters of jurisdiction. Does that make sense? Get tired.
tired of this, this mundane Christianity fighting some devil. I was saying, preaching somewhere, Pastor D. I'm, I'm almost done because I have to. So <laughs> I was preaching somewhere, Pastor D. And I, I, I said that, Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. I said what people have done with those keys is, 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 is bind some, 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 some demon in some village somewhere. Someone says, I give you the rank of heaven. Hey. And what you've done with it. And, and I tell people every time, demons and principalities are even different. They're different. Demons and principalities. Demons are like lower level, lower class. Principalities are princes over regions. So, you know, the church is all, oh, we're doing warfare and all of that stuff. Do you know why it results to nothing? Because the devils the church fight, they just don't matter. I'm so sorry. And so, the church's concept of, of warfare is screwed. Completely. Completely screwed. Because we don't understand our position our rank. When the Bible says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. God has called us to such a height. God has called us to such a level that before something happens in your city, the Holy Ghost wants to open, it, open your eyes to it. And God wants to begin to have conversations with you about it. Does that make sense? He wants to talk to you about it. He wants to invite you. Essentially, that's why I talk about Ecclesia a lot. What the ecclesia is, those of you that you came to the high impact leadership, you know, uh, seminar we did, what the ecclesia is, is this. The ecclesia is just a picture of the divine council in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven means that the way that God governs in heaven is the way it governs on the earth. We are sons of God. And to be a son, it means that you get invited into the royal conversations of the king. Now, if you don't believe that, think of what God said to Joshua in the Old Testament. In, a, in an inferior covenant. He said to him, he said, if you will walk in my ways, I will cause you to have access amongst these. Access to what? Access to the divine counsel. I'm not saying that your body begins to leap out of your spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But you come to such a level, a level of consciousness. A level of, uh, you, you know, the, the word of God that we're sharing with you. <laughs> there are things that we're sharing now, they don't look normal. Give God 10 years. This will be normal conversation. The things that you know now, like the Holy Spirit, you know, tongues, they were not normal in the church at some stage. But God is bringing another wave of, wave of understanding. I close on this and we begin to pray. Ephesians chapter 3. Have we understood this so far? I know some of you will come with me our questions, no problem questions. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I think it's verse. I'll start from 7. The Bible says that of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. 
to me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that, oh, this is the one. It says that so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, through us, God wants to display, demonstrate, show off his eternal wisdom unto principalities and powers. This, I, when, I, when I talk to I say, this is not some myopic religion. This is a world-changing gospel. I can begin to show you things in scriptures, time permitting, but for example, because I want you to have this governmental mindset. In scriptures, that the Bible says that God divided the nations. The table of nations according to uh, Genesis chapter 13. Please, uh, some, please get on your feet. The table of nations according to Genesis chapter 13. There were 70. They were divided and there were 70. What's so interesting is that in, in the book of, in the book of, um, I think it's Matthew, Jesus sends out 70 disciples to go and reclaim the nations. You begin to understand the mystery of the gospel, anything that God does. Here's my, my, my message tonight. We need to come to another level of sonship in God. This, this dimension of being conformed to the image of his son, there is so, what I shared with you tonight is not even, uh, this, that's why I had, to, I had to use the Old Testament, just as a foreshadow. It's even far deeper than that. Far deeper than that. Far, when, when you see someone like Paul saying that God showed me things that were unlawful for man to utter, the mystery of us being in Christ is far deeper than that. But God is moving the church to a governmental dimension where he can trust us to begin to legislate on the earth. My message title, Legislating in the Divine Council. <laughs> Legislating in the Divine Council. God, in this season... He's calling us to have deep levels of intimacy with him. Deep levels of communion. Deep levels of conversations where he's revealing to you what's happening in the nations. What's happening in your city. Not even what's happening in your family. It's what's happening in the nations. And this is the best part of it. I'm done. Let's rise to our feet. <laughs> this is the only way I'll get out of your way. This is the best part of it. When we begin to understand the divine counsel of the most high God that he, he operates, the best part of it is this. It comes to a point that, everyone look at me quickly, it comes to a point that God begins to ask you, what do we do? That's what happens in the courts of God. God will literally ask, imagine, you know, there's a level where 
There's a level where we ask God and God do this and God do that and God help me. There's a level God asks you, what do you think I should do? Yeah, trust me. That is the joy of the Father. That He has so trained you that He can trust your, His discernment in you. That is the level. That is what it means to be brought into the divine counsel of God. That God can take counsel with you. What do you think I should do? It's not because he doesn't know, but because he takes joy in that as a father. Now imagine the height that God has called you to, but look at the level that you're struggling at. Tonight there must be a shift. Some of you, just as I've been speaking, like the reality of your, of what you, you see your walk as, it's not even... It's not as profound. It's not, you feel like you're struggling. You feel like, but you know what? God sent this message tonight for you to go after something different, something unique. There is more to this faith than you think. Sometimes you stop because you think that this is all. But when God begins to open up your mind to dimensions that you've not seen before, your desire is provoked. Your desires provoked. God is calling the church to his divine counsel. Like I said, I'm not saying that people are going to start leaping out of their bodies. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is going to begin to have deep level conversations with you about the earth, about the governance of the earth. <laughs> the face of Christianity across the nations is about to change. It's about to change. And I told you this at the beginning of this year. That this is a faceless move of God. This thing is not on one man. It's not on Apostle T.J. Pastor Lassie. No, this is upon a body. This is upon a people. That someone will rise like in the days of Daniel and better. And say this is what God is saying concerning the United Kingdom. That this is what God is saying concerning Leicester. That in your workplace. Because you tap into divine counsel conversations in heaven. You say this is what God is saying concerning this workplace. You prophesy it's accurate. You make a decision it's successful. Because you're not doing hit and miss. You were operating with the highest of highs. High, high wisdom. Is anybody in the house? The face of the ecclesia, the face of the church is changing. It's not going to be business as usual. God says rise up in faith. He says rise up in faith. He's calling us. When the Bible says that God has raised us up and made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. What do you think he's talking about? He's called us to be members of his council, his ruling council. He has raised us up far above principalities and powers. He's calling us to be members of his ruling council. That he can take counsel with us. He wants you to drop that slave mentality. He wants you to drop that mentality where you're always begging and begging and begging. As if he hasn't given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. The Bible says... That his divine power is giving to us everything that pertains unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and to virtue. The Bible says this. I'm going to release you to pray in one second. The Bible says this that God has made us partakers of the divine nature. This is what he's talking about. When he says, the, when the word says he's made us partakers of the divine nature, it's not just saying, oh, we have the nature of God. No. When you look at the translation, what the translation is saying is that God has brought us into an association of God kinds. You know, just as you have mankind, 
there is mankind and there is God kind. God kind. God kind. Oh, if the church can wake up in this identity, I, I don't think we will need 12 hour prayer meeting. Does that make sense? When you wake up in this understanding, 12 hour prayer meeting, trying to cast some. No, no. But it starts with you, the individual. You begin to see yourself in this light. You get past condemnation. You say, this is for me. This is for me. This is the inheritance God has given me in Christ. Jesus didn't die from the Bible says, he died that he will bring many sons unto glory. Now let sons arise. Come and lift your hands to heaven and begin to cry out to him. And your prayer is simple and say, God, I refuse to live my life below, below the standard that you are calling me to. The inheritance is too vast. It's too high, it's too much, it's too wide, it's too great. It's too great. You can't give up now. You can't give up now. You're not allowed to give up.